Welcome to Conversations from the World of Allergy, a podcast produced by the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. I'm your host, Dave Stukas. I'm a board-certified allergist and immunologist and serve as a social media medical editor for the Academy. Our podcast series will use different formats to interview thought leaders from the world of allergy and immunology. This podcast is not intended to provide any individual medical advice to our listeners. We do hope that our conversations provide evidence-based information. Any questions pertaining to one's own health should always be discussed with their personal physician. The Find an Allergist search engine on the Academy website is a useful tool to locate a listing of board-certified allergists in your area. Finally, use of this audio program is subject to the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Terms of Use Agreement, which you can find at www.aaaai.org. Today's edition of our Conversations from the World of Allergy podcast series is designed with patience in mind, but hopefully will be applicable to all listeners, including medical professionals and allergists as well. I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Priya Bonsall. Dr. Bonsall is an allergist immunologist who treats patients at the Asthma and Allergy Wellness Center associated with Amita Health in St. Charles, Illinois. Dr. Bonsall is very involved in the academy, currently serving as the vice chair of the Practice Management Committee and former chair of the Health Informatics, Technology, and Education Committee. With 15 years of clinical experience in treating adults and children with allergic conditions, as well as numerous awards for her outstanding care, Dr. Bonsall is the perfect guest to help discuss today's hot topic, of winter skin care. Dr. Bonsall, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I like the intro of Hot Topic in Winter. <laughs> yes. Bring I, some of that heat to Chicago, that'd be great. <laughs> I, I hope it's very timely. And, you know, speaking of which, so for our listeners, we're recording this episode in late November 2019, and, and much of the United States and other areas of the world have really already experienced um, prolonged blasts of cold winter air. So, you know, the first question I have for you is, what is it about the cold winter air that really causes misery for so many people in regards to their skin? Well, I feel that basically cold winter air, we don't have the moisture and the humidity that is necessary to help maintain that skin barrier. So a lot of people you'll see going around with those, you know, cracked dry skin, which eventually leads to itching and flaking. And a lot of times people end up feeling that stiffness and that tightness around joints. And obviously the common familiar, everyone with their chapstick because of the dry chap lips. Sure. So it's really the dryness uh, associated with the cold air. Is that, is that, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's basically the lack, of, uh, the lack of moisture and humidity, I feel, that's in the environment that kind of promotes, promotes all of the changes that happen to the skin. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. Well, so in addition to the cold winter air, a lot of us spend more time indoors during this time of the year for obvious reasons. So what are some of the other common triggers that can impact anybody this time of year in regards to making their skin more irritated or dry? Well, one of the things, you know, we don't think is what's the number one thing we do in the cold in the house, right? It's cold outside, so we turn the heat up. Mm. So the dry heat, obviously, inside the house is going to make it worse because there's less humidity in the air. Um, one of the, you know, tips I tell people is, you know, watch that humidity in the house because that's, if you can bring that up a little bit towards 30 to 40%, you're going to stay out of trouble. Um, also that rapid temperature shift, like when you're going from, from the cold to the heat can make people itchy or vice versa. Um, oftentimes, like I said, not even related to eczema, it's going to be the type of clothing you're wearing, right? So if it's more wool clothing, something that's more itchy as a material, and the multiple layers of clothing might also make people feel more itchy and uncomfortable during the winter. 
Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And anything that you can think of off the top of your head in regards to, you know, around the holidays, such as, you know, decorations or Christmas trees or anything along those lines? Well, definitely when people, um, this is a big deal when people, I think we just did a tweet up actually about this, right? When you're going out and you're pulling out those, those decorations and a lot of people feel that, oh, it's the pine tree, but sometimes it's the mold. Um, so it's different allergens that are, you know, present also in the home as well as extra dust that you're getting exposed to that may also contribute to this problem. Ah, so everybody's cooped up inside, windows are closed, indoor heat kicks in, which dries everything out, and then just increased exposure to all the common allergens that don't get the air out. Correct. Yeah, okay. Now, you mentioned the word eczema. Um, you know, for our listeners, who, some of which who may not be familiar with this, what do you mean when you say the word eczema or the other name that it goes by, atopic dermatitis? Can you explain to us what that is? I always feel like atopic dermatitis is almost an easier one to explain because atopic for us, it, you know, you may, for us as allergists, you're going to hear the word atopic quite a bit, right? So atopic, we kind of relate to allergies. And if you relate to dermatitis as more to inflammation, so itis is always inflammation and derma is to the skin. So inflammation to the skin kind of influenced um, by allergies. And then this in turn is influenced by either genetics or particular environmental factors like we're talking about that can lead to that redness and the itchiness of the skin. And so is that something more to do with like the skin barrier where it's just, you know, there's something different about it compared to somebody who doesn't have atopic dermatitis? Correct. Um, you know, again, that's where those genetic influences come in, right? So mm-hmm. if, um, if kind of if you're genetically prone and you get put into that right type of environment or that right type of exposure to particular allergens, that's when the skin is going to flare and cause this particular skin condition on gotcha. eczema or atopic dermatitis. Okay. And is that something, you know, somebody gets a persistent rash that lasts for a couple of days or a couple of weeks? Or is this something that tends to come back over and over again for months to years? Unfortunately, it tends to come back over and over. Now, there are there could be interrupters, right, to this cycle. So let's say instead of spending my winter in Chicago, I decided I wanted to go, you know, down to sunny Arizona. Maybe in that particular environment, those particular allergens, maybe I wouldn't be triggered because that's how the environment is influencing me even though genetically I may have an issue. Also, with some children, they may outgrow it or, quote, outgrow it, you know, where it goes into remission for a while, and then you may see it as an adult or may not see it. But typically it does, like for people who get it in the winter, it does come back season after season. Okay. Now, you mentioned with the difference in ages. So is this something that adults can experience as well? And, I mean, is this something that can just all of a sudden appear when somebody's an adult and they never had these issues when they were a child? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, I know it's how frustrating it can be. Um, you know, we say that about a lot of allergies, actually, because I even just when you get um, an adult patient in the clinic, right, and they're like, how could I have this all of a sudden? I've never had this before. And that's pretty much how I explain it to them. I'm like, you were genetically um, prone, and then the environment became such that or you had a particular trigger event or a stressor, something happened that all of a sudden now those genes are starting to express themselves. So now you have eczema or atopic dermatitis or whatever the particular allergy is. Um, and then the one difference is, you know, especially with adults, you're going to see that dryness and the scaliness quite a bit, you know, quite a bit in the adult population where it may present a little bit different in children. 
Mm. What about parts of the body? Is it is that different between, say, infants and toddlers with eczema compared to adults? Yeah, you know, um, in kind of in both populations, I've seen it behind, you know, in the in the flexural creases, which we mean like behind the knees and the creases of the arm. Sometimes behind the neck might be more common in the adult. Um, you know, hands also I may see more commonly in an adult as opposed to a child. Children, um, quite a bit you may see in the face as one of the first areas where it's manifesting. So it does change um, depending on the age. Mm, okay. Now, you know, we let things off talking about the cold air and some of the, the triggers that can irritate anybody this time of year. But what about somebody who does have a chronic skin condition such as eczema or atopic dermatitis? Um, do, there, do they have different triggers that they could potentially be exposed to that make things worse? Yeah, so if if you are allergen-triggered, those environmental factors are going to be a big deal. So if somebody's triggered by dust or perhaps maybe they've noticed when they pet their dog or their cat that they might their eczema might become worse, or maybe it's particular pollen that sets them off during a particular season. We also notice um, different kind of soaps or irritants that they may be using, different chemicals. Uh, maybe it may not be the cause of the eczema per se, you know, because at that point you would be perhaps an allergic contact dermatitis. But if you had eczema, sometimes particular soaps or irritants may make it worse. Um, because we do feel that underlying there is um, staph in the worst chronic eczema cases. So maybe a particular bacterial infection may make that worse. Again, going from the hot to the cold can make it worse. Um, the other thing I've noticed is sometimes if people exercise and then they're sweating and then, you know, their skin dries and then they sweat again. So that sweating cycle may also make the skin worse. Um, so, oh, yeah. yeah, that's great. And you mentioned the staph, the, the uh, staph, um, staphylococcus on the skin, a bacteria that we all have on our skin. But are there other infections that can sort of flare eczema? Say somebody's well controlled and then they get sick with an infection. Can their eczema get out of control all of a sudden? Yeah, I mean, definitely an upper respiratory. Like, this is where I was coming to the next point about stressors. Mm. So that stressor could be different. It could be emotional stress. So somebody, if they're particularly emotionally stressed, sometimes they notice that they itch more and maybe their eczema is going to be worse. But it could also be physical stressors. Like you said, a particular illness or maybe someone had a surgery. Um, Something particularly can influence that area and make the eczema worse. The one other thing that I've noticed is with... um, with women, especially with hormones, hmm. um, you will hear them tell different stories of how maybe their eczema is a particular way as a child, maybe it stayed or went away during puberty, completely different between each of the pregnancies, and then in menopause it's different. So hormones can also influence um, how the skin behaves. That's really fascinating. Now, you know, I'm sure that you do a lot more for patients than just say, don't get stressed out, don't get sick, and avoid your triggers, <laughs> uh, which would not be very helpful advice, of course. But so, wh- you know, why, how can somebody who has eczema or atopic dermatitis or these chronic skin conditions or suspected allergies, how can they benefit from seeing somebody like yourself or another board-certified allergist? What can you offer them? I guess one of the things that, that we offer them is like, I think a lot of times is recognition, mm. right? First recognition and validation, like, hey, this is a problem. You're not just itching. We realize how uncomfortable it is. I think also helping them come up with, 
at least as my position as an allergist, I always view myself as um, somebody who works very hard to prevent the disease, right? So if we know that this disease is coming every winter, maybe having a plan in place of what are we going to do in advance of the season and what are we going to do during the season if you flare. So whether that be with topical medications or if things get much worse, then there are also injections or biologics or other types of medications that we can use for the disease. Mm. And are there any tests that you can offer that could help people potentially identify triggers for their eczema? Well, we do do, um, in the office, we do do skin testing. So I'm sure others have heard of uh, different types of testing out there, but as allergist immunologists, we offer skin prick testing as a way to identify your allergens kind of based on what your story is. So if somebody is coming in and telling me about particularly winter symptoms, I'm not going to test them to other things unless, you know, that other thing is particularly bothering. Like let's say that they get a runny nose during the spring, but then eczema symptoms are in the winter. So I may decide to test a dust mite and also take a look at the trees to see if either of those are contributing to their symptoms. Mm, that's great. And, you know, to kind of capture what you're, you know, summarizing here, it sounds like with with eczema or atopic dermatitis and some of these chronic skin conditions that it's not one size fits all and there's a whole host of presentations and severity and triggers, and uh, it sounds like really, you know, meeting with an allergist or even a dermatologist is a way to offer a personalized approach uh, to help people prevent their their skin from getting really bad and then treating it whenever it does occur. Would you say that that's a good kind of summary? Yeah. I mean, for me, always, like I said, prevention is the key. So Mm -hmm. if you can get in early, like you said, with either either the allergist, dermatologist, or primary care physician who's really, you know, experienced with eczema and getting that preventative plan in place. I, I don't think anything can beat that, but you also want to plan in case you flare. Sure. Okay. And I think we'll talk about that in just a, a few minutes here. But, you know, before we do so, can you think of any other chronic skin conditions that seem to flare in the winter months? Generally, you know, it's it's interesting. Like we, you do see patients with psoriasis again because of that dry air and the decreased sunlight that they may tend to flare. We also see um, patients, which I'm not sure if they know the familiar name for it, but it's Raynaud's disease. So mm-hmm. where you have you know small arteries with blood going to the skin, and then those arteries may narrow. Um, which make your fingertips or your toes feel cold. They can feel numb. So that's another one that also comes along in the winter. And sometimes rosacea, only because if the skin is very sensitive, that wind and cold air can can make it feel more sensitive. Mm, and rosacea is the one where people get very bright red cheeks and noses. Is that Correct. Right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, that's great. So, you know, going back to some, some basics that can impact anybody, regardless if they have, you know, eczema or rosacea or, or other skin problems, what are some of the basic tips that you recommend for any of us to follow in the wintertime to keep our skin uh, from drying out? I think I would say moisturize, moisturize, moisturize. Repeat. You think we should moisturize? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can't say it enough. So, um, because a lot of my patients, will, when, I, when I ask them how often are they moisturizing, they say, oh, maybe once a day. And it's clearly not enough at this time of the year. So, I mean, for me, a basic tip, and I can give a story of something that happened to myself. So I noticed my hands were getting those cuts and uh, bleeding because we wash our hands 50 times a day. I wash my Mm -hmm. hands when I come into the patient, when I leave a patient. 
So, and I thought, well, it can't possibly work if I put lotion every time because I'm having to wash it off in 10 minutes. And, um, and then I found that, yeah, it actually does work. So with every hand wash, I would say moisturize or keep some lotion. I would say we're going to like hopefully try to get either a cream or Mm -hmm. um, a thicker ointment. You know, if the ointment's too thick for you to work with, then a lotion or a moisturizer, but do that every single time that you wash your hands and then keep it next to you next to the sink. Um, Also within like a few minutes of the shower, I'm sure people have heard of this, within a few minutes you want to get that moisturizer on. And if you do have prescription medicine, we usually say put the prescription medicine on and then put the moisturizer on top. And I mentioned a little bit earlier about um, about the humi- humidity level, right? So the hard part is if you go above 50%, you're getting a lot of dust mite growth, but you go under 30%, and often that's drying for the sinuses and also for the skin. So trying to get to that, you know, buying a cheap maybe humidity gauge and plugging it into the bedroom mm. and then checking it to make sure that we can get that humidity level to maybe 30 to 40%, which would help the skin as, as well as the sinuses. Um, one of the other things that, you know, others don't think about is, you know, just wearing appropriate, like comfortable clothing, you know, so if you know that wool makes you itchy, try not to wear wool, right? Wear more cotton fabrics, especially on the underlayer of the skin and trying to wear that, um, sunscreen, even in the winter. I think people think, well, because it's cloudy, my skin possibly won't burn or get any worse. And that's not true that even if it's a cloudy day, you still need, to have your sunscreen on. And lastly, probably using like fragrance-free detergents and, and, and soaps, you know, things that are more gentle to the skin so that the skin doesn't flare to begin with. So scent-free detergents and soaps. Excellent. Now, you know, there's nothing better than a hot shower after you've been out in the cold for a while, (laughs) shoveling snow or whatever. But, you know, I, I tend to itch like crazy uh, in the wintertime when I take a hot shower. What's going on there? Well, it's really, like, like you said, it's, it's that heat, right? Mm. Again, you're going cold, hot, that variation in temperature that sometimes causes as soon as you come out, then you're going to itch like crazy. So a lot of times um, it's recommended to take more of a lukewarm bath. The one thing is if you do really want that hot shower, just make sure towel off really quick and put that moisturizer on because that's going to be what seals in the skin. But in an ideal world, probably a lukewarm shower. All right. Uh, I'll try to listen to you. <laughs> um, now, you mentioned this, but I think this is a really important difference, and, and I hope the listeners get you know gain a lot of great information from this, which you've already provided so far. But walk us through the difference between lotions, moisturizers, and ointments. How, you, know, they, you go to the store and you see hundreds of these products on the shelves, but what are some of the differences between them? So the lotion, I, I think it's all dependent on like what water content versus how much oil, like how much oil content is in the particular moisturizer. So your lotions typically are the ones that I think most people want to gravitate to because they spread the easiest, but they have the lowest amount of oil in it. So in terms of really sealing in the skin, if you have a choice between that and nothing, I would still say to do the lotion because it is going to provide some moisture to the skin. However, you probably want to go a little bit thicker than that with a cream because the cream is going to be half water, half oil. Mm -hmm. So using that, again, it's going to give you a little bit more of a barrier to the skin, but also provide moisture to the skin. And then your last category is going to be your ointments. 
And the ointments, um, you know, may, may have seen, you know, the, the harder problem with that is because they're a little bit more sticky because they've got that 80% oil versus the 20% water. So basically what you're gonna, going to want to do is maybe if you can't use the ointment during the day because of work or you don't want to get it on your clothes, maybe just try to use that just at night as a thicker barrier, and during the day, maybe try to use the cream, or if you can't use the cream, the lotion. Because like I said, something is better than nothing, but you do want the thicker, um, more oil-based, uh, more oil, oil-based moisturizer on your skin. Unless, of course, the skin is very oily to begin with, then you might want to stick with the cream. Mm, okay. Now, any advice for, you know, nighttime? So you mentioned the thicker sort of ointments, which are greasier and can really help lock in the moisture a little better. But you also mentioned before some of the, the flexural areas, whether it's hands or wrists or ankles or feet. Any advice on, you know, what people can do at night before bed to make sure that that ointment stays in those areas where you place it and doesn't doesn't rub off on the sheets? Yeah, usually, um, usually what we suggest is that you kind of wrap it somehow, so when my daughter was younger, we would put it on, you know, we would run that humidifier because my humidity level for some reason used to be at 20% in this house. And uh, we would put like a humidifier in her bedroom as well as put um, either the petroleum jelly or some other thicker ointment and cover her feet and ankle with socks or the hands with socks or gloves just to seal it in. And it's a simple and easy way where you don't have to spend a lot of money and buy these gadgets. All you have to do is, you know, simple care, and then that way it also doesn't get over all the surfaces. Mm, okay. Now, I love that you mentioned money because, you you know, if we're telling people to moisturize several times a day all winter long, uh, that can add up. So do people need to spend a lot of money on these expensive skincare products, or, you know, is basic better? I would say basic is better. I mean, the petroleum jelly is going to work great. Um I remember one of my older clients, a lot of the um, patients used to come in saying they used to use Crisco. So even just using mm. Crisco vegetable shortening would have been great because, mm. again, the, the idea is that it's more oil-based and it's going to keep that moisture into the skin. So you don't necessarily need to spend a lot of money on expensive fragrance products when simple, basic, and easy does the trick. Actually, single-ingredient items are probably the best. Okay, and I assume you should leave the spices out of the Crisco if you're going to rub that on your skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not to eat. <laughs> all right. Um, now, what about all these, you know, as we mentioned, there's so many different products out there. I mean, there are just tons of products for people to choose from, and some of these are fancy and, you know, cost more expensive, and or some of them have, like, all-natural fragrances and scents. Um, even if they're all-natural, are these things potentially irritating for people with dry skin or eczema? Yes, I'm, it depends. You know, obviously everyone's an individual, right? Mm-hmm. So, and sometimes these particular ingredients aren't required to be labeled. So we know there's thousands of fragrances out there, right? And maybe a particular product can any have anywhere from 50 even up to a couple hundred mm-hmm. of these ingredients, even though, like I said, they may be saying that they're they're natural. So, like I said, the best thing for people to do is probably try to get a single ingredient moisturizer, like as you meant as you mentioned, petroleum jelly, single ingredient. It's not going to, you know, you've tried it on a particular part of the skin. You know, it's not going to irritate your skin and you don't have to do detective work to find out what inflamed my skin by using a product that has a bunch of different ingredients in it. So, I mean, sometimes we know that you get um, like a 
contact dermatitis, like an mm. allergic contact dermatitis. So if the skin is already broken down and you have eczema and then you put a particular product that you get irritated to, then that skin is going to get even more inflamed. So you don't want to add fuel to the fire. So ideally try to keep it simple and basic, even if something else is labeled natural. Wow. Do you see patients where their actual, you know, quote-unquote treatment or the topical ointments they're using is actually making their skin worse? Yeah, sometimes because, again, they'll bring in the particular product and Mm -hmm. we look at the ingredient list and I say, well, I don't know if this, like, what about this? Do you know if this bothers you? Do you know if this bothers you? They have no idea just as much as I don't, and it's very hard to isolate each of the 50 ingredients that are on the bottle to be able to figure out which one is bothering them. It's better for them not to use that particular product. Mm, okay. Now, it's interesting because, you know, we've been talking now for 20 minutes or so, and we haven't really discussed medication at all. Um, and, right. But I, I know a lot of patients really do prefer to try to avoid medication uh, for multiple different reasons. Uh, can you offer any evidence-based approaches uh, to avoiding medications for good skin care or for eczema or atopic dermatitis? So I know like we've talked about the basics of moisturizing, but some of the patients, they still come in and they say, well, we want to try something more natural or something that's more basic. So sometimes I'll offer them uh, coconut oil, mm-hmm. and especially I found that it works really well in the scalp. If you leave it in for a little bit, like we tell them, you know, obviously not the straight fatty coconut oil, let it heat it up or buy uh, the liquefied coconut oil and let it, sit in the scalp for about 30 minutes prior to washing it out. It's going to moisturize and help prevent that scaly, itchy scalp. It also works really well on the skin because it's high in fatty acids. So, again, helping to keep that moisture into the skin. Um, I know that uh, we used to – I probably still do this – is telling patients about bleach baths. And I know originally it was stated that bleach baths, if you use a half a cup of bleach in a tub of water – that and you sit there for 10 minutes, that also helps because, as we talked about, it helps with the staph, the bacteria that's underneath the skin. Um, however, recent studies have said even just regular baths, you know, with lukewarm water for 10 minutes, is going to accomplish the same purpose. And as long as you come out and you moisturize again right afterwards. So, again, more natural way without needing to put medication on to kind of keep things at bay. Mm. Yeah, what about drinking water? Does that seem to help, either anecdotally in your experience, or is there any evidence to support that? Yeah, I mean, we've, uh, we, we do tell patients, again, it's all about moisture, right? So keeping well hydrated, it's going to help, uh, you know, help keep the skin more moist, help keep, um, you know, obviously it's good for the kidneys. It's good for so many different reasons. So, and especially because we do get so dry during the winter, it it's the right move to do, I think at all times of the year, not just the winter. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, are there any quick fixes? Uh, you know, we always hear about miracle cures and uh, various approaches and supplements and things like that. But in your experience or understanding the evidence, or is there that one quick fix that you're keeping from everybody and you're willing to tell the world about right now? Oh, my pixie dust. You found <laughs> it, right? <laughs> I wish I could sprinkle pixie dust every day on a lot of things. But... um no, I, w- I wish there, you know, I know there's so many advertisements for these quick cures or you take a particular supplement for 30 days and you're cured forever. It um, has not been shown to work. Now, if it does get better, there's probably something else that you're doing in conjunction with that that's helping it to get better. But 
that alone in and of itself, no, I wish there was a quick fix. Yeah, I do as well, unfortunately. Um, now, you, you, we spent a lot of time talking about the, just the rigors of daily skin care and moisturize, 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 try to identify and avoid the common triggers and really just, you know, daily bathing and things along those lines. But, you know, for a lot of people, unfortunately, despite their best efforts, they're still going to get that red, irritated, broken, bleeding skin. Uh, so when that happens, what's the next step? What, what kind of treatment do we, are we talking about then? So, again, it kind of depends how bad it is, Right. So if it's something that you could take care of at home and you think, oh, I really just was not on top of moisturizing my skin and I'm going to use the, you know, if it's more mild, again, use that petroleum jelly, seal it in, seal it in either, you know, during the day if you need a bandage, at night if you need the socks or something else. Um, You know, the harder part is, you know, once it gets beyond that petroleum jelly or, you know, you could use hydrocortisone over the counter um, to see if that'll help. Once you get beyond that point to the point where let's say that you've itched your skin so much that now it's infected or you see some pus or you're not sure if it's infected or um, or that, you know, your traditional methods or maybe maybe I've tried aloe vera to say I want to see if I can help the burning and I've tried everything else and it's just not working. At that point, that's when you do want to see your healthcare provider, you know, like I said, the allergist, the dermatologist, and have them take a look and say, okay, do we need at this point to use more aggressive topical steroid creams or is there another steroid-free cream that I could possibly use that's going to help, especially if it's on my face? Mm -hmm. And lastly, like I said, there's more aggressive management in terms of injections that we could also use. Yeah, so it sounds, you know, if things are escalating and not responding to standard therapy, that's when you really got to seek some some care. Yes. Yeah, okay. Okay. Now, you mentioned hand washing, and this is something I, I'm in the same boat you are. My hands crack and bleed every winter because I'm washing them 50 times a day, um, every day. Um, but do you have any thoughts or advice in regards to, you know, should we be using sanitizers versus types of soap to use? Um, should we switch things up every once in a while? What are, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I personally feel that most of the sanitizers by that point, they're burning my skin. So for me, it's personally pretty hard, especially if they're alcohol-based sanitizers. It's, you know, like I said, it's adding fuel to that fire. So for me, that's been particularly hard. Um, There are some foam-based sanitizers that have moisturizers. Those tend to work better for for people that need them, especially for the eczema on the hands. Um, Also, you know, again, like I said, that non-alcohol base, if you're going to use it. In terms of soap... Generally, we say more moisturizing soap or unscented. If you know, once again, that those fragrances bother you, try to get an unscented moisturizing type of soap. And that should that should help as long as you moisturize right after washing your hands. Okay. And you're back to the moisturizer again, I see. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get away from it. Can, can, can you see the theme? <laughs> yes, yes. I hope I hope our listeners are sensing that as well. <laughs> Well, and, and, you know, just lastly, you, you kind of touched upon this before, but specifically when you do have that broken, bleeding skin, um, you mentioned, uh, I think you said infection and, and some other things. What what do we need to really think about when that happens? I guess Sometimes I think patients find that, you know, again, for them it becomes normal, but if you've itched your skin to that point, it can also become infected. So you do want to get it checked out to see, can we get away with a topical antibiotic or is it so severe now that it, it, they may need a systemic antibiotic or, um, 
or even if if it's not infected, as I stated, do you need a um, a higher dose steroid cream than is available over the counter? And this is sometimes tricky because um, once again, especially with children, they may burn, right? Mm. So a lot of it is working with your provider to figure out, okay, what can we use on the skin so that it's not painful as well, and we can get that skin healed up so that we can get on a good skincare regimen to not get back in that position again. Yeah, that can be really tough to manage. Okay. Well, um, you know, I, I could talk to you all day, but I think that this is probably a good a good point for us to wrap up. The information you provided has just been fantastic. We covered a lot of ground, and, and I can't thank you enough for joining us today. But before we say goodbye, is there anything else you'd like to add? So the one last thing I was going to say is that, you know, usually I the, the patients are used to the, me saying this, but I always say take the bull by the horns, you know. So you want to be an active participant in your own health care, right? So everything's only as good as both of us working together to get you to where you want to be. So we, ideally, I don't want a patient waiting until the cracking and the pain and the bleeding sets in. And um, if you can, try to be proactive and preventative because that that is definitely the best way to go, whether it be for skin conditions, allergy, asthma, any other chronic illness, the more proactive you are, the better the outcome is. Well, that's great advice. And thank you again for joining us today. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. Please visit www.aaai.org for show notes and any pertinent links from today's conversation. If you like the show, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play so you can receive new episodes in the future. Thank you again for listening.